Waco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about stopping a coal to diesel plant. That's coming up later in the program. But first, your environmental headlines. According to a new report from the Environmental and Indigenous Rights Group, Amazon Watch, Five of the world's largest banks are funding crude oil extraction in the western Amazon rainforest. Those financial institutions are Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, HSBC, and BlackRock. The five companies have provided tens of billions of dollars to oil companies to operate in Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia. Two-thirds of the rainforest in Ecuador and Peru already have oil and gas extraction sites. Extracting fossil fuels is a major direct contributor to the climate crisis, but it also causes deforestation. Deforestation destroys a critical carbon sink and lands on which indigenous people and tens of thousands of animal and plant species Live. The report indicates that many oil and gas exploration sites are located in remote areas of the Amazon, necessitating constructions of roads deep in the rainforest. Such roads, the report says, quote, pave the way for further rainforest destruction from illegal logging, mining, new settlements, and pipeline spillage, end quote. There's a welcome bit of good news coming out of Africa. After immense conservation efforts, the numbers of critically endangered black rhinoceroses is slowly ticking up, according to the latest figures released by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, as the BBC's Science Focus reported. The numbers show that the population is growing, albeit at a slow rate, just a little over 2% per year over six years. The species is still in grave danger, susceptible to poaching and a changing habitat due to the climate crisis. Yet the population has grown by a thousand since 2012 to nearly 6,000. Quote, while Africa's rhinos are by no means safe from extinction, the continued slow recovery of black rhino populations is a testament to the immense efforts made in the countries the species occurs in and a powerful reminder to the global community that conservation works, end quote, says Dr. Gretel Aguilar, 
Acting Director General of the International Council for Conservation of Nature, which compiles the global red list of species under threat. Different strategies to save the endangered species have been employed with varying degrees of success. Those attempts have included relocating some individual animals from established groups to new areas to increase the species range. Some rhinos have been removed from their home areas to avoid inbreeding. Efforts to promote larger populations have not always been successful. In 2018, 11 black rhinos were moved to Kenya's Zavel East National Park from Nairobi. They all died, 10 from drinking water that was saltier than they were used to, and one from a lion attack. Despite mishaps, the largest threat to black rhinos is still poachers. Some preserves have high security with electric fences and multiple checkpoints, but others are totally accessible. It seems like such a simple, straightforward, empowering idea. Plant trees, lots of trees, all over the world and watch the planet's temperature fall. Who doesn't love a tree or two? Along with the refreshing shade they provide on hot days, trees, of course, also store carbon. And they'll suck it right out of the atmosphere as they grow. Who can argue with more trees, more forests, more shade? in a warming world. Earlier this year, a one trillion tree campaign was big news at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Salesforce founder, businessman Mark Benioff announced at the meeting that his company will support and mobilize the conservation and restoration of 100 million trees over the next decade. While planting trees will help, it is important to keep things in perspective. The estimated number of trees logged each year globally is estimated to be 15 billion. That's two trees for every person on Earth. The rate of natural replacement is estimated to be 5 billion trees. Thus, the total number of trees drops globally by about 10 billion trees per year. Indiana plans to plant one million trees over the next five years. Our state's plan is a symbolic gesture, but it is totally inadequate to meet the problem. The issue of trees is further complicated by the climate changes already seen. Of particular concern are the boreal forests in the northern hemisphere. These boreal forests are the major forests on the globe. Part of these forests are already under attack from borers and fungal diseases. We need to halt the warming to preserve our forests. One way of doing this is for the world to stop consuming fossil fuels as quickly as possible. Planting a few trees is not going to stop global warming. Greenland experienced an unusually warm summer in 2019, which caused the world's largest island to lose 600 billion tons of ice and raise sea levels by two-tenths of an inch, according to a NASA study released last week. That amount of ice loss more than doubled Greenland's annual average. The data comes from the joint U.S.-German space mission known as Great Foe, 
a pair of satellites that circle the globe and sense the variations in mass that correspond to Earth's gravity field. The satellites are particularly adept at sensing tiny changes in the Earth's gravitational field caused by ice gain or loss. A new study published in the journal Environmental Science and Technology found that bisphenol A, known as BPA, is crossing the placenta and accumulating in the fetus. BPA is a chemical contained widely in food and beverage containers, canned foods, and store receipts. The chemical and chemicals used to substitute for it, like BPS, are appearing in the pregnant uterus at, quote, unexpectedly high levels, end quote, as reported in the journal. As a result, fetuses are exposed to, quote, a cocktail of chemicals, end quote, as the study put it. BPA and related chemicals are endocrine disruptors. They interfere with the proper functioning of hormones and mimic hormone estrogen in the body. As endocrine disruptors, they can cause diabetes and other health problems, including cancer. Exposure in utero has been demonstrated to disrupt the brain's and other organs' normal growth. The effects show up as early puberty or an increase in anxiety and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Some BPA substitutes are linked to obesity. Around the world, the BPA market is growing some 3% per year, and it's predicted to surpass 7 million tons by the end of 2003. Elephants are in big trouble. In recent years, their population has plummeted by 30%. One reason is that foreign trophy hunters shoot elephants by the hundreds each year. About 80% of the trophy hunters who visit Africa to kill wild animals are Americans. Therefore, it's fitting that the U.S. Congress is considering a bill that would stop the importation of animal trophies into the U.S., the bill is called the Cecil Act, after the famed African lion whose death at the hands of a big-game hunter caused international outrage. Cecil stands for Conserving Ecosystems by Ceasing the Importation of Large Animal Trophies. The bill would protect such animals as elephants and lions, both vulnerable targets with decreasing populations, from being hunted as trophies by stopping the importation of such trophies. It isn't just about saving elephants from death. Conservationist studies have shown that sport hunting terrorizes elephant families, causing serious emotional and psychological trauma. Five years ago, after lead entered the tap water in Flint, Michigan, Mona Hannah Atisha, M.D., exposed the crisis and documented it with some colleagues. Dr. Hannah Atisha, pediatrician, has studied exposed Flint children since then and found that 14,000 children under the age of six might have been exposed to lead in the water. Early test results on 174 exposed Flint children showed that 80% of them will require special education because of brain damage from lead ingestion. 
Dr. Hannah Atisha says her initial findings show that the situation is worse than she feared. Today, Flint residents are having to stand in line, often for hours, to receive donated bottled water. The state stopped supplying residents with bottled water two years ago because it declared the water safe to drink. No one trusts the state on the safety of water. According to one resident, Larry Marshall, quote, water should be a basic necessity. We shouldn't have to wait or stand in line for. This is not a third world country, but we're living in one, unquote. Another wet spring and floods are on the way, says the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Fortunately, the agency predicted that this year's flooding would not be nearly as bad as last year's, which inundated the Midwest and devastated crops. This year, major to moderate flooding is likely to occur in 23 states, said Mary C. Erickson, Deputy Director of the National Weather Service, according to the New York Times. She added the bright spot that the flooding will be less severe and shorter than last year's. This year's floods are expected to affect parts of the Midwest, the Rust Belt, and the Southeast, all the way down to the Gulf Coast. The National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration predicted that the most significant flood potential will occur in the northern plains and the upper Midwest of North and South Dakota, as well as Minnesota. Parts of Iowa and Illinois may also experience heavy flooding, according to the Weather Channel. Eli Lilly CEO David Ricks told CNBC on Friday that his company aims to start testing a treatment for the globally spreading coronavirus in the coming months. Lilly has teamed up with the privately held Abcellera Biologics to co-develop a medicine for COVID-19. Quote, the speed at which pharma research is unfolding is unprecedented in our industry. Literally, Abcellera started this work 11 days ago, unquote, Ricks said in a phone interview with Jim Cramer on Mad Money. They hope to be in a clinical trial this summer. To begin developing a cure, Abcellera screened and isolated antibodies of the first U.S. patients to recover from the illness Ricks explained. Eli Lilly will assist in replicating the antibodies that may respond to the virus to produce and manufacture a drug, he said. Quote, we're partnering to find the best ones, scale up production, and bring it to the marketplace. End quote. A potential COVID-19 treatment may require more than one medicine for most ill patients, Ricks added. He expects that the drug, if and when it's available, will be administered in intensive care units first, but it could be available outside the hospital and can act as a preventative treatment for those most at risk. The creation of a vaccine would take more time because it would have to be tested on healthy people, the chief executive told Kramer. In Richmond, Indiana, plans for what would be the city's largest solar park yet has one final approval, clearing the way for thousands of panels to be installed. 
The Indiana Municipal Power Agency has been building solar parks in Richmond for more than five years since a 2014 pilot project installed a small field of panels next to the Richmond Power and Light Office. The latest project will be built on about 75 acres that will contain 55,000 panels. Completion should be by the end of 2021. The total solar capacity for Richmond when everything comes online will be enough to power more than 5,000 homes a year. A pair of Indiana University experts are among those who testified in Indianapolis to the Indiana arm of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights about the status of lead exposure in the state. Indiana University Environmental Resilience Institute Director Janet McCabe and ERI Environmental Historian Fellow Elizabeth Browning testified to the Indiana Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights about the state's plans to respond to lead poisoning problems how barriers like environmental racism have slowed that response. McCabe testified that the biggest barriers to protecting Hoosier kids from lead poisoning are a lack of funding, a lack of prioritize funding for state and local health department-led poisoning programs, and a reactive instead of a proactive response. Lead poisoning can cause a series of adverse health conditions in children, like brain damage, learning the disabilities, decreased growth, hyperactivity, hearing problems, paralysis, and even death. The most common source of lead contamination is exposure to lead-based paint and lead plumbing fixtures. These sources are found mainly in houses built before 1978. Most recent available data shows that 69,000 children under 7 years have had at least one test for lead in 2018. McCabe also testified that the state's policies on lead sampling in school drinking water may have played a role in exposing children to lead. She said that the Indiana Finance Authority conducted a statewide sampling of more than 900 school buildings. Of these buildings, 68% were found to have had at least one fixture with a level above 15 parts per billion, the level at which U.S. Environmental Protection Agency requires a series of immediate actions. Sampling did not include all Indiana schools. The state has made lead sampling voluntary. Mayflies are undergoing a sharp decline where they have been historically abundant in the northern Mississippi River Basin. Mayflies are an insect order composed of keystone species on which other systems in an ecosystem are very dependent and without which the ecosystem would undergo drastic changes. The fall in mayfly populations is especially alarming because mayflies are a critical primary food source in water and land ecosystems. Three factors account for most of the decrease in mayfly populations. One, the dramatically increased use of neonicotinoid pesticides, to which mayflies are highly sensitive. Two, algal blooms, especially in Lake Erie, caused mostly by runoff of agricultural fertilizers and other nutrient-dense pollutants, 
and three, global heating, which includes higher water temperatures, which can ruin the development of mayflies. Because the threats to mayflies cut across regulatory boundaries, it's important for federal agencies to cooperate in protecting them. The EPA, U.S. Department of Agriculture, and Department of the Interior can undertake a joint effort to address the threat to mayflies. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about fighting a coal-to-diesel plant. Two Southern Indiana environmental groups have won one stage in a battle to halt the construction of a coal-to-diesel plant in Dale, Indiana, that they believe will negatively affect health, quality of life, and tourism in the area. An air quality analysis that was initially withheld from the public found that emissions from the plant would exceed the cancer risk threshold established by the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. IDEM issued the permit despite that analysis. A judge with the Indiana Office of Environmental Adjudication agreed with the environmental groups that IDEM had failed to follow public participation requirements, withholding crucial information about the proposed plant and making it impossible for the public to make informed comments within a reasonable time frame. The ruling by Judge Catherine Gibbs responded to the first of six counts included in the petition. Gibbs will hear the remaining five counts on or before June 29th, the date she is set for a trial in Indianapolis. In January 2018, Riverview Energy proposed building the first ever coal to diesel plant in the United States in Dale. Opponents of the plant say the town board annexed the land and rezoned it for industrial use before issuing detailed information about the plant to the public and before citizens had a chance to ask questions or voice any concerns. A group of concerned citizens formed Southwestern Indiana Citizens for Quality of Life to increase transparency between Riverview, the county town governments, and citizens. Riverview's coal-to-diesel process would pulverize coal and mix it with an oil such as crude oil, creating a slurry. Hydrogen from natural gas would be added to the slurry, creating ultra-low sulfur diesel. Ultra-low sulfur diesel reduces the amount of airborne sulfur emissions that cause smog as opposed to regular diesel. It's also more efficient, meaning heavy machinery could run longer on one gallon of the ultra-low sulfur diesel than on regular diesel. However, according to Riverview's own air permit application, the plant would release around 2.2 million tons of carbon dioxide, 225 tons of carbon monoxide, and 120 tons of sulfur dioxide annually. The proposed site of the plant is within a mile of a nursing home and within two miles of an elementary school. IDEM's 1,229-page preliminary findings report found the plant would have, quote, no significant impact on human health. Attorneys for Earth Justice, which is representing Southwestern Indiana citizens for quality of life in Dale and Evansville-based Valley Watch in the case, said the permit was deeply flawed and they felt it was an important case to take on. In June 2018, Earth Justice requested all records regarding Riverview Energy from IDEM. IDEM published a draft of the air permit in October 2018 and took public comments until December of that year. IDEM responded to the records request on June 3, 2019. It issued the air quality permit eight days later. 
A draft of the air quality analysis for the Riverview facility included in the records released after the public comment period shows internal discussions about Riverview's exceedance of IDEM's cancer risk threshold. In the records, an IDEM employee noted that the permit was not going to be denied despite high cancer risk values. Southern Indiana Citizens for Quality of Life and Valley Watch filed a petition to appeal the permit in July 2019. They said if they had had the records prior to the public comment period, they would have made different comments based on the new information. They said they didn't have enough time to respond between receiving the records and IDEM's issuance of the permit. IDEM says it cannot comment on ongoing litigation. Mary Hess, one of the leaders of the Southern Indiana Citizens for Quality of Life, said her group is continuing to hold public meetings to bring awareness about the plant. If the judge rules in favor of Southern Indiana Citizens for Quality of Life and Valley Watch on all counts, the permit would be remanded back to IDEM to address issues that made it unlawful. Such rulings would not cancel the building of the plant. Hess says she and her group have extremely cautious optimism. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co op grocery since 1976. Offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assault on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience in all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And that wraps up our show for this week. EcoReport is brought to you in part by MPI Solar. Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show.
For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.